can't believe that you haven't seen it Love it so much you really gotta stream it Let me tell you every line right now I can quote the whole thing since I was 12 Maybe your mom told you no She said she wouldn't give you any money to go And that's why Movies we missed Hey, 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 hey! It is Movies We Missed. Welcome back. I'm your host, Brandon Greenhouse, alongside my lovely, lovely co-host, Jane Blanche Hammer. And um, we're we're coming at you live and in color. And before we get into the episode, um, a lot of people asking, a lot of people want to know, how do we get a hold of you? How do we keep tabs on you and what's going on in your everyday life? Mm -hmm. Um, If you can't hack into Jane's live journal, then you can keep tabs on her. And us <laughs> over on Instagram, over on Facebook at Movies We Missed. And you can find us tweet, 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 tweeting away like a little birdie <laughs> over on the number one uh, most seen, uh, most reviled Twitter accounts online at MWM chat. Lots of conspiracy theories, lots of hot takes. Um, we mm-hmm. talked last week about Jane and her relationship with, um, you know, England. And uh, there's some conspiracy theories about her boy, um, Andy, that she wants to get into over there. And Wayne talking Toy Story. <laughs> no, we're talking. In, um, <laughs> Why we're talking is Prince Andy Andrew. from Toy Story the person? There's so many Andys. Uh, what's another one? Um, Andy from The Office. Um, Andy. You think Andy from The Office is a more iconic Andy than Andy from Toy Story? <laughs> no. One of the most beloved movies no. of all time? No. Name a more iconic Andy than Andy from Toy Story. Oh, oh Jane's, Jane's sick, by the way, and not just. Sorry, I meant to mute way. while I was coughing. I, I have a normal code. Cold. I have taken okay. two tests. It is not COVID. I promise. Okay. It has no but effect that, on them. They're just listening. Yeah, but the, I just want them to. That's why my voice is so sexy. But you said it like they were maybe going to catch it through the, like, the I speakers. I am like, so oh. used to this week being like, oh, no COVID. So I'm <laughs> just like continuing that. Which really just makes it seem more like you do than whatever. I never 100 believes believe. I never 100 percent believe somebody when they're like sick, but like <laughs> they like say they don't go. I'm always like, you know, like, oh, I took two tests. It's like you take two tests today. <laughs> That's what I care about. I want those up to date results, baby. Actually, one of the things that was surprising to me is like this doesn't feel like COVID. It feels like a traditional old, okay. old cold. The OG, um, yeah, the OG. Like it, like I, I've only had COVID one time, but it knocked me on my ass. Like I have never been so tired and just so like foggy and sick. And this is like you just have a cold. You can still function. You know? Did you take? A, did you take? Um, um, did you take a TB? Did you take a TB test? Um, I didn't. But when I turn around and cough dramatically into my white linen hanky and blood shows up, that's when I will go ahead and take a TB test. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Let's take a moment of silence for all of our um, all the people who lost the TB. All the people in movies and film who we knew the end was coming as soon as we saw them cough blood into a I wanted to actually celebrate the lives of the real people, the soldiers out there that um, oh. that got lost in the in the game. But let's, let's turn on the fodder. Let's make a few moments out of it. What a wild thing to take a moment for. Like, people who died? Remember no. those who came before us? Interesting take, um, but not just, surprising because it's you. It's just that girl. 
Okay. Well, TB is just sort of a bit of a throwback disease, you know? It's a throwaway disease? <laughs> throwback, I said. Throwback. Okay. Throwback. All right. So, uh, how's your what week does- going beside you, Ben? What were you going to say? You were coming in hot with something. Oh, I was going to say, what diseases do you think are hot right now besides COVID? I think there's a lot of diseases of, of the mind that are taking people over in terms of like Ooh. politics and stuff that's yeah. going on. Mm-hmm, 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 <laughs> Y'all ain't ready? Mm-hmm. Y'all ain't ready. ready. Some of you are quaking right now in your rav fours thinking, oh, he's about to get political. He's gonna he's gonna call me to the floor. <laughs> love them are you know how when you're like marketing you make a persona for your like typical like user or buyer or whatever i love the idea of our typical listener being a rav4 driver 2003 rav4 yeah that's how mm-hmm. i imagine most of our listeners <laughs> 2003 rav4 that is the car you drove in in grad school isn't it it, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a 2003 movie. Okay, <laughs> so let's get it straight. What? But it was a Rav4, wasn't it? I just that just yeah. dawned on me. Uh, yeah, I what, ne- I've never had a new car it? in my. I've never had a new car in my life. So I'm gonna what bet makes it was, you, you you weren't in grad school in 2003. That would have been new. No, I'm saying I've never had like a new car before. So so the year of the car would have to be like usually like three or four years. Like so probably there was like. Okay, probably been like probably like a 2010 or no, like a 2008. Probably was what I was rolling. What in. years were you in grad school? I'm not putting my business out there. Okay. <laughs> because I thought. What, okay. Well, we. What did you, what? What do you think? <laughs> because if you're saying your car is old and wasn't new when you're in grad school, 2003 would have made sense. Uh, not, but not that old. Just like a couple years old. Oh, not okay, like, okay, 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 okay. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Jane, besides that, um, have you had a good week, though? I've had a good week. You know, it's been um, I, I, I mothered over the weekend. Um, I became a mother. Ugh, uh, I, hate, I hate that. I hate for... I mothered over the weekend. <laughs> Even if what somebody, else, like, if what somebody else got a call, call at like on a Zoom call, I was like, oh, my God, I've been so busy <laughs> mothering. Um, <laughs> it's just like, stop. And Brandon wants to say shout out to all our mothers out there because apparently Absolutely. he really respects you. But you, you don't out. respect the job that I've done, all which is our, all the all the queens don't wear crowns. You know what I mean? All the superheroes mm-hmm. don't wear capes. Thank you mm-hmm. for doing what you do. And You're for welcome. Putting up with you You're know, welcome. not you. Um, oh, hey, shout out I to mothered for like forty eight hours. Fleeting. It was fleeting. <laughs> um, you know, but. All those robots out there, absolutely. You know, hats off to you. You know, and your day's wow. coming up. In a, I just want in you about, guys in about in seven your... months, you're going to get yours. Happy <laughs> Mother's Day. So I'm excited about that. I want you, that. all of you guys in your Rav Fords to really take the time to really think about what Brandon's saying. And he's using the phrase real mothers. And I want all of you and also. I want you to be aware that he has his own little criteria about what makes a mother and uh, you know what <laughs> his his definition might be so rigid that it doesn't fit you so I would invite you all to reach out to him and let him know what you think about that and what you think about him I actually while Jane was talking I got lost in my thoughts about all the tuberculosis <laughs> oh, about all the tuberculosis victims <laughs> Um, out there that Jane laughed in the face of early in the episode. So I would say to maybe don't be afraid to, to Wait, come I after do, her too. I do have a legitimate question though. Here we go. 
And this is, and I am being vulnerable and allowing myself to maybe appear stupid. We'll see. It'd be fun to see what that looks like. <laughs> Which I, I'm acting like Not this the is the first. Part. <laughs> I know, but like vulnerable. <laughs> but I'm acting like this is the first time that like it's possible that I might sound like I don't know what I'm talking about on this podcast, and we're seventy something episodes in, and I like I know I know what happens a lot. I often sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. But do you know? Is tuberculosis still like? Do people still get that? No, or I don't it, think tuber. No, I, I don't think tuberculosis is like an active like. Because we've got vaccines that we, people are getting. We had TB vaccines, right? Shout out yes, to science. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There are okay. tuberculosis vaccines. Absolutely. Oh, it's so crazy how we had vaccines and then we all got them and then a disease becomes eradicated. Isn't that nuts? Um. So. I do want to I want to take a moment and I want to pivot. Um, you can oh, wow. still you can still get a TB infection. <laughs> OK, well, we really we were doing some grandstanding there without a lot of information. But OK, please go. go off. <laughs> um, so we are going to just take a second to educate the more, you know, according to the CDC, two billion people, one fourth of the world's population are infected with the TB bacteria with more than 10 million becoming ill with active TB disease each year. In 2019, 1.2 million children fell ill with TB globally and 465,000 people fell ill with drug resistant TB. TB knows no borders. Whoa. Okay. So I think we made a couple of mistakes here and I'm going to own it. First of all, first and foremost is that I wasn't thinking globally. (laughs) I was kind of thinking about (laughs) Indiana. (laughs) Just sort of our little American bubble. And that is, you know, do that. We often, we often do that. And I'm taking responsibility. That is fucked up because we're not reflect, you know, we're not reflective of a global society. We're only reflective of our own society and so i apologize to our listeners for sounding so fucking ignorant and um i guess <laughs> i'm Don't sorry try to use your white woman voice to get out of it <laughs> those are my karen tears that i was trying um, to um <laughs> no but you know tv's a real it's a real thing and we're still fighting it and hopefully We'll get a cure cure. Is there a race for the cure? Or like I mean, we that? could start it. We could start like a jaunt for the cure. How about a brisk a walk po- for the cure? How about like a podcast for the cure? I'd be willing to do that. that. I yeah. love, I love yeah. that. You could just provide us with some medical information. Um, speaking of death, Jane and I actually had a, we had a quick little conversation before the podcast started. Um, mm-hmm. We talk about all sorts of hot button issues, you know. Um, we do. But we, do. we had a conversation about second weddings and about how you know you sometimes you have to be careful with second weddings um we feel um and we talked about this in our um oh god uh the episode of what is the movie with barbara streisand that we watched oh my god the mirror has two faces baby the mirror has two faces i won't do i just no i wouldn't and you guys should listen to that episode it's a great episode great movie but there's a moment where she attends i think it's a third wedding and we had a big conversation about how within certain boundaries 
being the preface, second weddings can be a little tacky. Yeah, and we were just talking about that, and then we were discussing what, like, how that becomes complicated (laughs) if you're marrying somebody who has a spouse who died. Um, And, like, Jane asked me a horrible hypothetical. She wanted to know how I would feel if the person I was marrying wanted to, like, get a photo of the person that they like that that died their previous spouse and like like a like a framed eight by ten and have it up at the altar with us which like i was like absolutely not and not like for selfish reasons but like what like that implies that we're all marrying each other in some way it's it's a weird vibe i would be like it's not about you like honoring your loved one who's passed on like that's important and you had a life with that person but this is this is (laughs) there's no no bitchy way to say this. I'm realizing as I'm well, this continuing. Is Jane's to talk. Day? Is that what you're <laughs> No, I was not gonna say this is Jane's day. But this is a wedding between us and our marriage. And that this is person new. is this is new. And that person I'm isn't sorry. a part of that. I mean they're part of you, I guess. I don't know. There's no way to be there's no way to be sensitive to that. <laughs> no, but I get what you're saying. That's not the statement that you're making. Yeah, for sure. I would love to know if that's us being inappropriate. What, what us being inappropriate by not wanting a framed photo of like the deceased <laughs> former spouse of the person we're marrying? Yeah, we're the ones who are going against tradition. It is like no, no please. <laughs> maybe I'll pour one out for you during a toast, but <laughs> like maybe. I mean, the thing is, if you if the, if the spouse has like a child or something, there's a way to like make sure that you're that you touch on the fact sure. that like their other parent is no longer with right. you. Um, but I think that like barring that, like no, I mean we'll find ways. Maybe it, like yeah. I, I feel like a mo- like um there's a moment to say something really lovely at like during mm-hmm. like a toast at the reception. I- Absolutely. Or at, like the pre-wedding dinner, like a moment mm-hmm. to be like, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't get married tomorrow to Molly without taking a moment. You know, one of the first mm. things that I remember when I met her um, mm. was how incredible of, of, of a person she was, and mm. and how giving and kind she was. I remember the first time that I um, I got sick. I had a light case of TB, and I remember she brought me chicken soup, and she wasn't a TB denier. She sat with me. She we just watched cartoons together, and we'd only been dating mm. for a couple of weeks, and I was so embarrassed to be so vulnerable and, and gross around her. Of and course. I remember she said, "You know, I used to have a different relationship with sickness until, you know, Brett." got really ill and that sort of opened me up and that made me human that humanized in a way and it made me understand you know that you sort of you take that space and you take that time with a person no matter what so I want to take a moment to thank the person who helped my now wife grow and that's her former spouse Brad like thank you for all that you did to make this woman so incredible and so special and I just I hope that I can be on that journey with her too and if I go to a wedding and that's happening I am Mm. live (laughs) texting you of course you are I can't get to my phone quick enough oh my god (laughs) like I don't care how tacky it is to be texting during a fucking ceremony happens like wildly inappropriate (laughs) and life happens god I got some stories to tell you speaking of I'm always like I can't wait to tell Dan about this Um, oh my god and speaking of wildly inappropriate, 
Mm-hmm. We are going to move into the 1962 classic. It's a spooky one. This Ooh. is a movie. This is one of our spooky installments and during the Halloween mm-hmm. season. This is actually like, I think the last of our spooky installments. This is our last this spooktacular is our last choice. Spooktacular Boo-tacular uh, movie mm. to round out the season, and you know, given that last year I gave Jane mm. for one of my spooky selections, Dead Ringer, starring mm. the icon Betty Davis. Mm. This year I decided to double up on divas, and I gave Jane the 1962 <laughs> classic. What happened to Baby Jane? What happened to Baby Jane? I love it. Um, it's not just her namesake. Um, mm-hmm. I is... was named after Baby Baby Jane Hudson. Little known Were fact. You really? No, I wasn't. Oh, I thought you were serious. I was no. like, oh my god, because I got this scene geared up. <laughs> Baby, you're gonna be disappointed because you're playing Blanche. Um, <laughs> no. Oh, you know you are. You know what that is. Get real. Can I just? I knew when we were prepping for this episode, I was like, we're definitely gonna do a scene from this, and it is going to be. Normally, I just acquiesce and let you play whoever you want to play. But Look. I was like, we're gonna have a fight. Look over this one. Look. Your choice, your movie. I get it. I'm acquiescing, but I will let you know that, like, because our lit- listeners don't want to hear an actual real fight between us. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I will let you do whatever you want to do without any, um, what's the word? Without any dissent. You're also, you know what the word was because you're so familiar with it. Um, <laughs> I also, you're not well right now. You're feeling a little bit sicky poo. So, which I thought would have been really help. This is so funny because I was, I thought it would be helpful for the Betty Davis character because she's in a gravelly voice. It wouldn't. <laughs> so I'm going to go dare. ahead and get into the synopsis now. <laughs> We're already coming in so hot. Okay. We are so- hyping hot. I just want to have a friend again. <laughs> And it's like, I've always got to strap in for a battle with you. Uh, well, look, I, I would like to strap in and hear your synopsis of this incredible, iconic film. Iconic. Right, here we go. Blanche and Jane Hudson are sisters on the verge. Don't get it twisted. Jane was once one of the finest vaudeville performers in the world. She had the voice of an angel and moves that would make Shirley Temple blush. She went by the name Baby Jane Hudson and wild the crowds with her koopy doll expressions and melodious tunes. A child star, if there ever was one. She had the crowds and her father slash manager in her back pocket. Whatever Baby Jane wanted, Baby Jane got. Blanche was the older sister, forced to live in her shadows and suffer abuse at the hands of her sister and father. Their mother made Blanche promise that no matter how her and Jane's fortunes changed in life, Blanche would always take care of her peevish sissy. Flash forward 18 years to 1935. Blanche Hudson is now a movie star. Hollywood proven. (laughs) And she can write her own ticket. She's leveraging her star power to keep her once famous sister Jane's middling career from fizzling out completely. Blanche's star is on the rise and her sister's antiquated performance style is all but dead. Jane's transition to the big screen is also marred by her alcoholism and onset difficulty. Blanche's star couldn't be catapulting any faster into the stratospheres. That is, until an unexpected accident where she's hit by a car and left partially paralyzed. Flash forward a nearly 30 years to 1962. 
And we have the two women living a life apart from the rest of the world in a Spanish-style dilapidated Hollywood mansion. Blanche is now a person who uses a wheelchair and spends her time almost exclusively in her upstairs bedroom. Jane even brings her the meal sheets and is one of her only connections to the outside world. Well, Jane and her nurse Elvira, who routinely comes to check on Blanche... Blanche reveals to Elvira her plans to sell the home that her earnings have purchased, which will leave Jane without a home, and Blanche in a more manageable estate being helped by Elvira. Once Jane gets wind of the plans to sell the house, she swings into action, sequestering Blanche even more, taking away her telephone and alienating her even further from the world. All the while, Jane is sinking further into alcohol-laced delusions of a former life where she is the main attraction in a show all her own. Only this time... No one wants to see it. Will Blanche get the help that she needs and remove herself from this toxically dependent relationship with her sister? Or will Jane die before she sees them untethered? Only one way to find out. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Ooh, that's the one. That's the one we watched. That's the one. And it was macabre. Was it what you expected? I'm just curious, like, overall, um, as a film? Okay, Did you have so any expectations? I, of course, had expectations. I've been hearing about this movie my entire life. Um, it is not only... Um, an iconic movie just within our societies in general. It's an iconically queer movie. And so there are many, many queer people who quote love, you know, mention, watch, dress up as, you know, people from this movie. So I've heard about this my whole life. One of the one of the iconic lines, which I did not know was from this movie I have been saying with my friend Allie for 20 years, and I'm sure she's seen the movie and pulled it from that. And I just started saying it with her and had no idea that it was from this movie, which is so wild. So it's at one point when they're um, arguing in Blanche's bedroom and Blanche says something about like, oh, things would be different if I wasn't in this chair. And she turns on, she goes, but you are Blanche, <laughs> whatever. And that is something that Allie says to me all the time. And I had no idea it was from this movie. And I'm sure. And Allie is a person in my life who has watched a, a grillion movies and loves movies like in the same way that we do. So it does not surprise me that she's, you know, seen this and committed that to memory. But I just did not know it was from this movie. It's it's the best line in the film. It's the most yeah. memorable. Surprisingly to me, it's the I think it's the most memorable line in the movie to me. But I mean, it, it is for me, like, too. But the <laughs> moment feels like a small moment. But for some reason, that is the line that I that's the line that I remember the most from this movie. And partly it's just because Betty Davis is so incredible. Um, Every line that Betty Davis, I, I will say this. Well, every line that Betty Davis delivers is an absolute delight. Yes. And I think Joan Crawford is also amazing in this role and is so much, so much of like a quieter performance, but just as incredible. But like, I don't know how Joan agreed to do this part. 
in this movie. <laughs> I think Especially she just with wanted... how much those two hated each well, other. Joan, well, the story was that Joan Crawford, you know, decided she she was the one who had the book and then decided that they should make this film and went to Betty. And <gasps> Betty agreed to make the film on the condition oh. she got to play Jane. So that's the story that I've always mm, heard. I didn't um, know that. And so I I think that that was probably a part of it. I did think it was interesting, especially this time in watching it, because the thing that's really fascinating about this movie to me is that, you know, Betty Davis famously, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it later, I guess. But Betty, da- Betty Davis famously was nominated for an Academy Award for her performance in this film. Um, it would have been a historic moment had she won. It would have made her she would have been the most at that time, the most decorated Academy Award winning actress. It would have been her third Oscar. And it's interesting because I think, yeah, it's interesting because this was sort of at the end of her career. And especially if we're thinking of 1960s, early 1960s Hollywood. Like, I mean, there weren't really substantive roles for women of of a certain age in Hollywood. Absolutely not. So, I mean, there still aren't. <laughs> no, you're right. There still aren't. Yeah. Unless your name's Meryl. Um, right, it's exactly. getting a little bit better, but like, no. But not and much. So, yeah, no, not much at all. So it's like crazy to like think about that moment. But it's also like I said to Dave while watching it this this time is the first time that I thought like I don't understand like honestly Blanche probably should have been in the supporting actress category that's what I thought too because I was like when I was reading it after I saw the movie I was thinking oh maybe they were both nominated in this I was like I knew there was some sort of feud going on I know it had been a lifelong thing but I know particularly ramped up with this movie maybe they were both nominated in the best actor actress category and they were pit against each other no Joan wasn't even nominated and I was thinking why the hell didn't they put her up for supporting actress maybe she was unable to like feel okay with that being her role within this movie and I don't even Although, know if the studio would have like if that would have been something that she would have necessarily been like consulted regarding you know yeah um, I don't know how that works and I don't know I don't know how that works then. now and I don't know how that worked back then so but you did ask me a question which I have not answered you asked if I had any expectations for this movie and the answer is yes i had many many expectations for this movie one of the i expected it to be super camp super creepy super um just a a great story all of which came to be but i don't actually think that i expected to um what how do I want to word this I didn't expect to think it was as good as it is like I thought it was going to weigh heavy heavier on the campier side and have me enjoy it because of that but I actually think that it 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 was a really good movie with or without that camp factor. Does that make sense? Which I wasn't expecting because it's hard to see. I, after watching it, it was like, okay, this is a blueprint for a lot of like thrillers that I've seen in my life. And I know that this is like possibly the first, or at least one of the first most popular of its genre of its kind, where it's like woman goes crazy, kidnaps another woman, you know, because of multiple reasons, but crazy old woman who can't connect to the outside world who has a secret. I mean, it's sort of like a part of this 
horror subgenre that's called hag exploitation, which is like an awful term. Um, but it's this. You I know, did see that in the Wikipedia yeah. page, the hag exploitation. <laughs> yeah, and it was like it's an older woman who typically was once like a very like beautiful Hollywood star who is now sort of like subjected to these roles. I mean, and keep in mind that this is happening, you know. But also we have like you know Cary Grant, who's like. A hundred who's allowed to woo Audrey Hepburn and nobody bats an eye. Um, Absolutely. So it's not a matter of like, it, it's just, it's specific to actresses because actors are allowed to continue to be fuckable until the day they die. Um, it is, it and is, that's totally yes. reflected within our society too, oh, not absolutely. just Hollywood. Like women age and they're disgusting, men age and they're sexier. You know, yeah. no, you it's know true. It's, they become yeah. more distinguished. Um, but like, that's where a lot of these actresses were doing movies like this. Olivia de Havilland did a film at this time. Joan Crawford and Betty Davis both like, you know, straight jacket, Joan Crawford did straight jacket. Um, Betty Davis did, you know, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. Like there were other films like this, but this was a pretty like this. This was like the beginning of like because it was a very it was a movie that did very well, way better mm-hmm. than they thought it was going to do. And so it ushered in this new and also like of several Academy Award nominations as well. Victor Bono was also nominated um, for Best Supporting Actor as well, who plays Edwin. You know, I- to bring up Victor Bueno, who was great in his role as as Edwin, although I could clock immediately that he was not actually British, but that's neither here nor there. Well, you're an Anglophile, so of course you could. <laughs> his accent left a little... His, the, and the person who played his mother, I cannot remember her name. It's escaping me. But, um... Uh, oof, I should pull that up. What would her name be? Uh, Marjorie Bennett as Delia Flagg. Oh, she was Australian. Okay, interesting. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I pulled up Victor Buono's IMDb because I was like interested in like what else he's done because I didn't recognize him and I don't think I've seen him in anything else. Um, and I just started reading the d- description of him. Now, if you guys haven't seen this movie, um, Victor Bono is like a larger guy and the description for him in IMDb is so shady and I hate how people talk about large size bodies larger than life Laughton-esque with an eloquent king size appetite for maniacal merriment and it's like what are you doing? Why don't you call him like rotund? Well, just do it. <laughs> like it was just so shady to me to read that in his description. Yeah, because it's like what's barely coded. Yeah, it's barely coded, and it's like the way we talk about people is just so fucking shady. <laughs> That's so. That is anyways, so messy. It's so messy, and it's like. Also, it's uh, it's just interesting to he I guess he was a comedian and, you know, um, played a bunch of like funny characters. But like, I, I, I don't know, it's so so much focus on like his size within that language, which made me laugh. I mean, Edwin had also quite the relationship with his mother. Um, mm. The two of them were were going at it quite a bit. Like it's so funny too because it's going at it. Can we change that language? I mean, there, there was a lot of like intense banter back and forth between the two of them. They fought and bickered a lot, and there was like some really like funny moments. Also, by the way, during one of the scenes, Edwin. Who it's so funny because Edwin's like this. He's he's basically he's hired by Betty Davis's character Jane to like assist her 
and like getting back on her feet um, with this act that she's got that nobody really wants to see. Um, but he's at home with his mom and he's eating cereal and he pours half and half into the cereal. I wrote that too. I was like, who eats cereal with half and half? Is that supposed to be a comedic bit or do people do that? that that's a good question, so actually. Thick. Because that's all I was thinking was this is probably. <laughs> This is the thickest, is what I was thinking. It's the thickest. It's the you thickest. Could, the next would thick. be like <laughs> glue, and you could not get thicker. Okay, so I I thought his performance was great, and I didn't. I, I did read that he was Oscar nominated, but one of the things that bothered me, which. Um, <laughs> you know, it's very glaring as to why one of the characters that I think is one of the best in this is the person who plays Elvira. And she's such an integral part of the story and gave such a good performance and she wasn't nominated for anything. And it's probably because she's black woman in 1962. Oh yeah. But, um, Mady Norman. Yeah. Yeah, Mady Norman. I looked her up. She's got a really incredible story. So she is like, um, she she's from Georgia. She went to college at a place called Bennett in Greensport, North Carolina, and then got her master's degree at Columbia University in 1937 and did a bunch of acting, but also did a bunch of teaching at UCLA. And in 1970, she taught the first course in African-American theater history in UCLA. And it was the first course devoted to the subject of African-American studies at UCLA entirely, which I just thought was really cool. That is really cool. And she just is this really interesting person. And like, we talk about this movie so much and, you know, I've never heard of her. Her name doesn't really come up very often. So I, I just thought that was, we should mention that and just be like, you know, there's probably a reason for that, you know. That's but, awesome. That, yeah. Like, how, you know, how fascinating. She, she gives a very, a very like quiet, but like solid, like anchoring performance in the movie. We could have had like a little bit more of her, you know. I did want more of her and I wanted more of like, oh my God, the second she put that hammer down, I knew it was curtains for her though. Oh, and for sure, yeah. Right. She, I felt like her character was like it. It, it also like it, it played to the trope that like still exists today. It's like the oftentimes the first or only people to die in like a thriller or a horror movie is the black character or the character of color, of which you know Elvira is the only black character in this movie. And you're right, and, the only person who dies. That's that and is. the only person who dies, and. She was also the first one to be asking questions like, hmm, maybe something isn't right here. And it's like we needed to have paid more attention to Elvira. Like she took the risk. She broke into the house to try to save the day and ended up getting her killed. And it's like, you know, just I, I wanted her to have more shine, to have more of a moment. And I want people to talk about her character more when they talk about this movie, because I really um, I thought she was a big part of the story. Also, we were talking about Victor Bono earlier. Queer did not know that. So that was oh, super interesting to find out. And also, I thought it was um, 
I thought it was really interesting that apparently originally Pete, uh, Peter Lawford had the part of um, Edwin and then he turned it down because he thought it would reflect badly on the being the brother-in-law of the current president because he was JFK's brother-in-law at that point. He'd married Pat Kennedy. And I thought that was really interesting that once he like he, he thought about it, he decided like it would be a little bit too gritty. Yeah, I wonder what it was given, about that made because I saw that as well. And I was committed by that family. Yeah. <laughs> like the Kennedys are like, sorry, that was a step too far for us. And it's like, should we go over your your let's, let's list of accomplishments? Card, baby. <laughs> um, gotta, like, got to keep these hands clean. Can't appear in a fictional movie. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But y'all go ahead, Camelot. Right. Um, but I thought that that was really interesting. I was on when I was looking at Victor Bono, the quote that for some reason just made me laugh was when he was talking about his personal life in regarding his sexuality. Um, He was quoted as saying, I've heard, he said, I've heard or read about actors being asked the immortal question, why have you never married? They answer with the immortal excuse, I just haven't found the right girl. Because I'm on the hefty side, no one's asked me yet. If they do, that's the answer I'll give. After all, if it was good enough for Monty Clift and Salminio. And that made me really laugh. And I just thought that that was extremely witty That's and like very great. like in a very like funny way of just like being like I'll play the game if you need me to. Exactly. Um, but also speaking to your point too about like you know obviously like him not being looked at as a sexual or like desirable person. Apparently he lived his whole life with um most of his life at least with boyfriends. Um, mm. So it was like an open secret. Um, and Dave realized while we were talking because Dave is currently rewatching all the Batman, the original Batman. Mm series and he played King Tut a professor who like hits his head and then thinks that he's King Tut which I was like I said that to Dave and he's like oh my god that's King Tut so um that's so yeah. funny I did see that on his page that that was a big um role for him I guess on the, in the Batman series the Eartha Kit one right that one uh, yeah although it's Julie Newmar it's not Eartha Kit it's what? Julie Newmar on the series um, on the Batman series, which Dave and I both, when that episode premiered, because I've heard of it, but I'd never seen it. So I'm not 100% sure when, when does that switch or Catwoman? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure when that happens. But um, there's apparently some sort of, I mean, I don't know if it's in the original series or if it was, you know, after the fact. But I do think it's interesting that, but also when I saw, because Dave called me in the room. And when I saw, I did have a moment where I was like, Oh, I did know that Julie Newmar played Catwoman. So then I was like, I did. Yeah, I knew that too. But you know? I also and I guess I never like. Yeah, I didn't know. I don't know. Okay, I, oh, Eartha Kitt took over the role for the third and the final season of Batman. Ah, uh, okay. There we go. Okay. Yeah, I have a question about Victor Buono, who plays Edwin Flagg, and Betty Davis, Baby Jane Hudson, and go their relationship. It, go for it. So they, she like hires him to be her. She's, you know, a companyist. She's like straight up Delulu at this point being like, I'm going to make a comeback dressed like a baby, except I've got more, more wrinkles than a paper bag, but okay. It's like, go off girl. And they like plan to go out to dinner. And I'm like, "I I can't tell if does she think that there's like something sexual going on between them? Does he think he's going to get a little from her? Because he leaves and he's arguing with his mom and his mom's like, Hey, love, what time are you going to be home? And he's like, 
don't know and like anybody's guess or whatever in his like shitty British accent and I I thought the implication was like he was going to have sex with this old woman dressing like a baby what I sort of gleaned from it was like it's really interesting because she's sort of like she sort of oscillates between like this sort of like child like coquettishness and then like this like womanly sensuality and this really peculiar kind of way with him there are times where it's like you can tell that she's she's she, she's trying to make herself kind of twee in a way that's really mm-hmm. like that adds to sort of like the the uncomfortable sort of you know the uncomfortableness I was gonna say I'm a dumb bitch discomfort of the moment and I'm like <laughs> I, it is curious because it's almost like she doesn't know like she's open yeah. to sort of being taken over by whatever the thing is. And I got the the feeling I get from him is like if the money's right. That's the feeling that <gasps> right, I get from that him. Right, that is the feeling like, I get from him too. If, if you've got the if you've got the coin, then I then I can be, you know, I can be that kind of I can be that kind of companion for you. And from her I get like she's very much I think it's tied up in the delusion of her being able to like put on this like letter to daddy show. But there's um, <laughs> there's moments where she looks at him and she's like She's got that look in her eyes and she's like, let's go in the kitchen and let's have something to drink. And it like, but it's so good because it adds to like, it adds to like what's unfurling on screen. It's that same sort of like, oh, I, I, this feels private in a way that like it shouldn't be happening and I should be watching it. And it's like, there's the, no one in that, the room to be a barometer. constant discomfort where like you are not sure what direction it's heading. But you which... also, and she also only refers to him as a, that's, it's one of the interesting things about her back and forth with, uh, with Blanche because she's almost like, in this sort of like arrested development in a way because it's like oh, when absolutely. she talks to Blanche she goes back and forth between this sort of adult evil and like this childlike peevishness there's like mm-hmm. this moment where she's like he's my friend but then there's also now that you bring it up there's that moment because Blanche is always asking questions that she knows Jane's gonna fucking hate um, she's always like <laughs> I I wants to know who's at the house and Jane is like none of your fucking business just like it wasn't 15 minutes ago bitch and it's like I want to be like Blanche you learn from what happened last time and like, but there's a moment where but she comes she upstairs she stays curious but there's that moment where she comes upstairs and she says what you, you know who's downstairs and she's like oh you'd love to know wouldn't you so that you could so that you could have him and you could sleep with him you whore she says something along those lines which then does sort of amp up the sexual but it is right. interesting in the sense that like you also have this feeling though that if he were to have made a sexual advance that there's a possibility that she would like scamper like she would freak out and run right. away it's almost like she think- the danger is what she is what she enjoys and like the potential of like some sort of like romantic entanglement is more interesting to her than like the reality of what that would mean well i think it actually goes goes back to like what she wants in like the base at the base of everything is she wants people to pay attention to her and does not care in which way and she's willing to entertain it whether it's positive or negative which is really the whole the whole driving force behind her character I feel like it's like I want I want to be back in the spotlight. It doesn't matter how I get back in the spotlight. And I want everyone to know me everywhere she goes. She's like, well, did you recognize me? I'm I'm baby Jane Hudson. And people are like, who? (laughs) And have you ever taken off your makeup? 
it's also it's also like we're dealing with a person who was a vaudeville star so we're dealing with a person who literally exists at like at like the period in time where like we move away from like radio shows to like live action film like this person you know came to fame right around that same time which is super interesting because Joan Crawford was one of those people in a way not necessarily like radio but like you know she was a flapper she was like a she was like a, a flapper dancer and she appeared some of the first movies that she appeared in um one of the first is it Dancing Gals? Is that what it's called? Um, but it's a flapper movie that I have actually seen before. Um, it's it's a movie where she plays um, a young lady who is a um, she's like a she's a she's a flapper. She's but it's but it's silent. It's like a silent film. Ah, and, okay. But it's her like dancing around, and it's um, shots of her dancing lady. That's what I'm thinking. I'm not flapper. No, not dancing lady. What is the name of that film? Maybe it is Dancing Lady. It's a movie that was like one of the first films and it and it is a silent film and it is it's just music and it's just her. Um I have to look for it. But yeah, but that's like a part of like, you know, Joan Joan Crawford's um I looked it up and it said there's a movie called The Unknown from nineteen twenty seven. Well, I thought that like that was also I love like my one of my favorite things is like that like Jane doesn't want to deal with like any of these nosy Nellies. And like I mean the no. next door neighbor and her daughter, that's like they're two of the only characters who are not within the home. They're ancillary to the story. But I mean, they sort of serve in a way, they serve the purpose of reminding us of the fact that like there was this shift. Because when the movie starts, we're introduced to baby Jane as, you know, this this act this performer you know she's selling these porcelain dolls for like 325 which i put in the inflation calculator i came back is like something like 70 dollars and i was like oh my god but i will say they're porcelain dolls but i will say towards the end of the movie there's a scene where she gives edwin one of what she lets edwin hold one of the porcelain dolls and i did think oh that's a big ass doll i didn't realize how big they were it's, it's like huge. the size of like a like a four or five year old. Like it's like yeah, a, it yeah. is a big, substantial sized doll. And I was like, man, and back then. Honestly, they do a zoom in at the beginning of the movie of Baby Jane smiling next to her doll's head, and it's one of the creepiest shots I've ever seen in my life. Porcelain dolls are creepy inherently, no matter how you slice it. I'm sure they're an art form and it's significant. Whatever they are, walk into a room of room with them and tell me that you feel settled. Because you, you know, don't. You know what I forgot about, and I just I remembered. This Can is. Can I so guess? Funny. Yeah. Can, that Sex in the City episode when Stanford has sex with the person who is uh, collects porcelain dolls. No. Oh damn it! Okay, go ahead. R.I.P. Um, <gasps> R.I.P. Stanny. Stanny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was actually thinking about the fact that like when I was a kid. Um, I wrote, I like, I just had this memory. My aunt and my cousin, they don't listen. My aunt used to, my mom and my aunt both know how to like crochet, but my aunt mm. used to crochet these outfits for like dolls. Like they weren't mm-hmm. quite as big as a doll in this movie, but they were like substantially sized dolls. She would make these dresses for the dolls and like barrettes from braids, like, like barrettes and bows for the hair. And then she would make mm-hmm. a matching like dress and bows for my cousin. And mm. so my cousin would like wear the same outfit as the doll. Did and she have porcelain dolls? 
No, they weren't porcelain. They were like plastic, uh, okay. but they were like bigger size dolls. He's totally, but I, yeah. But I totally forgot about that. And like my grandma oh, used to used have to, them as, all over the house. Like, as and she would girls, make matching we outfits. Used, we used to do creepy things with our dolls. First of all, I did have a porcelain doll that I wasn't like allowed to touch because <laughs> like I would fucking break it. But I did have like American Girl dolls, and like people would like, you could buy people size outfits of your American Girl dolls. So you could match your doll. Maybe that's when my aunt was like, I really, never like, did on. that. I never did that. Um, one, because my mom didn't let me. She's like, I'm not buying you those things. That outfit must have been so, I bet it was so expensive. <laughs> that I'm American sure, Girl I'm sure it was so expensive. Crazy expensive. Like, American Girl doll is so, you so expensive. Jessie, didn't you? No, I had Molly, which is Jesse even one. I just I, just I don't threw I, that out. Okay, she could be now. They like have released a lot of new ones, but I had one of the OG ones, which was Molly. Which one of the funny internet memes now is like, if you had Molly as an American Girl doll, you are now queer. Which a lot of the queer girls I know had Molly. So, um, anyways, yeah. So people used to match their dolls, and that's fucking that's weird. Doll culture is fucking weird. I don't Although, get it. Although, shout out if we've got any doll, doll, doll heads doll that are listening. Heads. We love you. And we, <laughs> we support love you, you and on your journey. We respect you and what you do. And we celebrate you. And I don't agree with Jane. She's a monster. You. Any, way, any, any way we can support you, you let us know. Any way we question. can. Oh, any way you can support her. Okay. I don't know. Like, not financially. I'm not giving you any money. Oh, but. just emotionally? <laughs> Even though you just call them creepy and weird? <laughs> I'd prefer it if you didn't box me into the things that I said. Okay. <laughs> um, the first scene of the movie, we get young baby Jane Hudson on the stage singing, I've written a letter to daddy. I've written a letter to daddy. Okay. So I want to touch on a couple of things. First okay. of all, the voice that comes out of that child is not a child's voice. That is a an adult woman trying to sound like a baby. And it is one of the creepiest things I've ever heard in my life. Tara and I both Tara and I both stopped our tracks and we were like, what is that so if you have an HBO Max subscription go and press play you don't have to watch the whole movie although I do recommend it but the first five minutes please listen to the rendition of I've written a letter to daddy and tell me what you think because it is terrifying and I do have the lyrics I just want to share them with everybody the lyrics to the song are I've written a letter to daddy his address is heaven above I've written, Dear Daddy, we miss you and wish you were with us to love. Mm. Instead of a stamp, I put kisses. The postman says that's best to do. I've written a letter to Daddy saying I love you. I've written a letter to Daddy saying I love you. And uh, I didn't realize that Daddy was dead. Yeah, Daddy was dead. Daddy dead. Did you pick up on that when they were singing the song? Did you catch those lyrics? Because I never catch it because that little girl's just giving. I'm just like on the ride. (laughs) Well, when I heard the post, the post box is heaven above. I was like, okay, so your dad's dead. But I think I also don't know why I said "Do you, Queen?" Because if she saw me, she would be like, "What's that big monster doing in the house?" I'm sure of it. We were back in. 
back in nineteen seventy two. But it, well, oh, either way, th- th- either way is all good. <laughs> no. So I wanted to know, and then later in the movie we get sort of a flash of um, she's Baby Jane Hudson is trying to revive her career, and she hires Edwin Flagg as her accompanist, and she's showing him the sheet music, like these are the songs that I'm going to do. And I got to tell you, all of those songs are daddy centric, and I don't get why. It's a, it's a very daddy heavy. Um, we are singing to daddy a lot, and that makes it. that's, that's why makes the gays are so all over because they're like, I want to let it be daddy. <laughs> um, no, that's really funny. Uh, I didn't realize how daddy daddy heavy it was. Every but. song is about daddy, and daddy sounds like, from what I hear from Baby Jane Hudson's sort of retelling of her life, daddy had a lot of influence on what the songs. Uh, what songs they were singing. He wanted so. to keep it daddy heavy, yeah. Yeah, he wanted to keep it daddy heavy. <laughs> oh, so, uh, do you know about the makeup? Yes. Okay. Well, I know that Betty. I know that Betty. Betty did her own makeup for this one. So I read up about the makeup because I was like, "What the fuck is that clownery?" And it is perfect because it's great great. for the role it's great for the role but for those of you who haven't seen it you can google you know betty davis um whatever happened to baby jane makeup and you'll see i mean it is absolutely caked on her face she it's almost like she's she's just covered in powder and super thick foundation a very very dark eyeliner that's you know looks like it's been lacquered on she draws a black heart on her cheek or at least it's black on on, you know, it's a black and white film, so I don't know what color it is, but it appears to be black. And then these sort of dramatic 1920s eyebrows. And Betty Davis did her own makeup for the movie because she had a really big vision for this character. And she was like, she asked the first makeup artist she asked, he said, I can't do makeup like that because I'll never work in this town again. And then she realized she couldn't ask actual professional makeup artists to do this because it would ruin their careers. So she did it herself every day and her inspiration and her sort of like storyboard was she wanted to look like a person who never took off their makeup they just continued to add to it each morning so like stuff that i rubbed off on your pillow you just instead of washing your face and starting over you're just going back in and adding which is the exact effect you got you you get when you look at her and i think that is so brilliant as a person who really loves makeup and like that sort of side of things in terms of movies it was like it, it was a fun fact to like learn about and then just see that that's exactly Exactly, exactly what came across on screen. And as a person who's done that before, I've seen you um, on a Sunday morning, girl. I've known you a long time. <laughs> I have never gone and redid my makeup that I slept in. I do not sleep in my makeup anymore, but certainly in my 20s, I would get drunk and pass out with a full face makeup on. Because it is like, it is funny because like Betty Davis looks so wild in this movie. And like Joan Crawford still just looks, she looks feral. She looks feral. And Joan Crawford still just looks lovely. Oh like, my. Joan Crawford looks beautiful. And it's like this. And I also like, I, it's, it's interesting because it's like the way that this house is set up. Everything is on like 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 Jones Jones character Blanche. Um, she is a person who uses a wheelchair, and so she is 
in her room in this wheelchair and the way that they sort of set it up it's like she doesn't leave the room even though you're like she has to leave the room she has to go to the restroom and like change and do all these things because she doesn't have a rest her bathroom she doesn't have a bathroom in the room the way that they set it up is that she can because you see her throughout the movie she she leaves the room I mean, she, she goes accesses, into the hallway at times yeah but she, and so i assume that she has the same access to the bathroom but because she's using a wheelchair she can't go up and down the stairs yes for sure she's just isolated on the top floor but they're in in towards the like you know as the movie progresses you see that um baby jane locks her in the room a bunch and it's like you know because she does eventually sort of find her way down the stairs with a lot of effort um, in order to try to escape. And so that's not a Baby Jane's watch. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing, too, is that we meet the character of Elvira, um, who is a person who's like a nurse who comes in to like... Take, I think she's a housekeeper, she, right? she, Maybe she's a housekeeper then, but she comes in, you know, we meet her towards the beginning of the movie. Clearly, she has this contentious relationship with Jane because she sees her for who she is. And <laughs> But she's also like every... There were so many times we were watching the movie and Dave would be like, oh, why doesn't she do this? And I'm like, because she's black. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, it was like, I, but- <laughs> this is, can I just, wait, I have to say something. I said out loud um, while I was watching the movie with Tara, and I was like, I feel like, I can't remember specifically what I said, but I was like, I want Elvira to do this. And Tara burst out laughing. And I was like, what? And she was like, I know exactly what Brandon's going to say to you <laughs> if you say that to him. And it was like, you're going to tell a black woman who works for a bunch of white women to like take this kind of risk and like get in trouble in 1962. And like, you know, she's the one who's going to fucking be there. You know, well, that's the thing. Like even in the even honestly, like even when we think about like was Elvira has this sort of scene where like Blanche explains to her like that she's been talking mm-hmm. to the doctor and that the doctor is going to um, basically help her get, you know, Jane the help she needs. And then she's going to sell this house and buy a smaller estate. And then her and she wants Elvira to come like live with her and help her sort of care for herself, which sounds like a perfectly reasonable scenario. And, you know, obviously we find out that Jane's caught wind of it and uh, not on her watch. But before Mm-mm. that even happens, though, it's like there are these moments where it's like your instinct is to be like, I want more. I want her to, to have more agency. But it's like so did every black person. And then he's just exactly. It. Exactly. Exactly. Also, getting mixed up, you know, like Elvira, if there was a scene with Elvira's mother, she'd be like, girl, maybe you're not getting mixed up in these white people's business. Because <laughs> it's like, like, even when you think about like that moment at the top of the stairs where Elvira there's a scene later in the movie after like Jane has sort of like devolved further into like her state of being and Elvira has come to visit one time and Jane has sent her away and said oh we don't need you today here goes the money she sent her away and take then, your day off take your day come off. back next week exactly and Elvira comes back like a day later because she just wants to check on Blanche and Elvira ends up sneaking in the house and she can't get the door open because Blanche is because Jane has locked Blanche in the room and she's trying to get it open and she can't and so she takes a hammer and like a screwdriver and she's basically trying to take it off the hinges to get mm-hmm. the door to get the door out of the frame and then and then Jane catches her and then ends up killing her but there's a moment where Elvira's holding the hammer and then Elvira puts the hammer down and enters the room Ugh. and when she does 
she finds G- Blanche bound and with tape over her mouth, her hands are bound and she's trying to communicate to her to like look behind you because Jane's holding the hammer and then she bludgeons over the head and kills her. But like there's a moment when Elvira puts the like the hammer down where I think to myself, even if Jane like knocked her over the head, like if Elvira like had to kill her in self-defense, she would still go to jail for murder. That's either. true. Like no That's matter true. what, even with Blanche testifying on her behalf, like it doesn't matter. There's no world mm-hmm. in which she could have killed that white woman and gotten away with it. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. it- well, there's a world where um, Betty Davis does or Baby Jane doesn't get the chance to kill her because Elvira is still holding on to the hammer. That's the world I mean, that I would that, think we live but in. Like, but also knowing how deep she was into it, it would have been like, you have to, I mean, you you were me. It would have been one of those situations right, because right, you, she couldn't make it out of that house knowing what she knew. And the only right. possible way that Elvira mm-hmm. could have made it out of that situation if she had had to like ultimately like hurt Jane would have been for Blanche to say, you need to leave now. I'll take the blame for it. That would have been the right. only way. And she could have made right. a case for herself for self-defense. But like mm-hmm. that would have been it because like, yeah, yeah. it's like it's a, it's a, it was actually perfect to cast a black person in this part because yeah. you sort of black people, especially at this time, especially like within roles of like domesticity, you have this familiarity within these households. But also there are these lines that exist that you cannot totally. cross. So there's mm-hmm. a certain way that you have to move through the world. So it's perfect to have a character like this who actually sees a lot of what's going on but uh, but is honestly powerless but is powerless there's yeah. nothing she yeah. can do so so i mean it worked to their advantage because it's like what does this black woman say who does she go to the cops nobody's gonna listen to her no so no it's so it actually you know it, it, it made sense that she was there but like her hands were bound in this way by society so it's like all she can totally. do is sort of like observe the violence happening but totally and I think that adds layers to that character makes yes. her such an interesting character and which is why again it goes back to the fact that like my first instinct as a white person was like she should do more and then really stay, taking a step back and thinking about it in the way you just described it was like she absolutely could not in no way no. and it allows the movie to continue because she can't stop it you know and I I think that was really I don't know if that's what the you know filmmakers were thinking but it was uh, a a really um, it added another layer to the story that I thought was really great after I mean after Elvira you know is killed like all bets are off and then we get this moment where Edwin drunkenly comes back to the house and like he discovers Elvira he well he no he doesn't discover Elvira's body he discovers like he he just he gets introduced to that porcelain doll and then he discovers Blanche tied up and like bound and gagged upstairs and he runs off and like there's this moment which is a lovely actor moment it's just like Betty Davis is so good in this movie there's this moment where she's he's running off and she runs off to chase him and then you see like this sort of like switch in her head and she goes he's gonna tell he's gonna tell and she runs back in the house and she like runs to Blanche who's still bound and gagged by the way and she's like Edwin's gonna tell and then she decides to take Blanche for uh for a beach day well the thing that she does which I think is really interesting and like tells you how like unstable she is as if you needed any more examples. Yeah, as if you didn't like, yeah. (laughs) She goes, she literally, this shot of the camera on her face as she realizes he's gonna tell and she like looks up and she screams, 
and she it's runs so upstairs and she's like, Blanche, you've got to help me. We've got to go. And it's like, she's got to help you? Honey, you've literally been keeping her captive. Like, what do you think this fucking is? And the other thing that we didn't mention yet is during that 1935 moment, which sets up the entire film, we find I- out during that moment. What, what happens during that moment is we don't actually see completely what occurs, but we see th- in a car, these two female figures approach a mansion. There's a gate. One of them gets out to open the gate. When she gets out to open the gate, the car, the per- one, the one who's in the car accelerates and hits her. We just hear screams and then we see sort of the rubble that's left after. And we sort of get this information from like ancillary characters about what happened, about the ways in which it was reported in the media, in the newspapers, that kind of thing. But we never They're basically get- all talking about the rumors, but you never get from our main characters until the very end what actually happened. But you don't even think about it when you're watching, you just assume you know. Oh, no, we just assume that Well, what's pretty clear, because one of the first scenes in the movie is Mrs. Bates coming over with flowers for Blanche that Jane opens the door to take from her. And she says, we just love your sister. This is also a really interesting time in history because it seems to be the time in history where all of a sudden there are now movies that were on the big screen that networks are showing on television, which is like talk about a newer phenomenon, phenomenon. The fact that like on certain days you can watch a movie that previously was only seen in theaters, which is also wild to think about because that means that like if they didn't show it on television, obviously this predates like the VCR. So it's like either you saw it when it was out or you didn't see it. And when it wasn't out anymore, then you heard your friends talked about it, but there was no don't spoil it for me back then, baby. It was like, because it was uh, like, spoil it. It's it's spoiled (laughs) because you missed your chance. You missed it. It'll maybe be back for a 25th anniversary, like re-release least at the movies but baby right, you had to wait 25 years it's not coming out anytime <laughs> soon and i'm not waiting 25 years to, t- to talk about what happened in it and so <laughs> it is a wild time to think about where it was like you either see it or you don't that is such a like you know for our generation at least that's such a like crazy thing it's like it I, is right well, because, I mean, I think about how much access, even now, like, compared to even, like, 10 years ago, how much access we have oh, to, yeah. like, television and movies that, like, we've never had before. Like, I literally never have to leave my house to see a movie I want to see. I haven't. never have to leave my couch. And I won't. And I won't do it. I won't leave my house. I haven't left my house in 10 years. It's political, though, at this point, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm making a statement. Also, for who? uh, The people, and they know what I mean, and they and they've always been behind me. Mm -hmm. And talk about fan mail, because I will not stop receiving it, because it keeps coming in and coming in. As we support you, we love what you're doing. Do you know how to read it? Is that Lena Michelle behind you? (laughs) <laughs> That's actually Jonathan Groff. He reads me all my fucking mail. <laughs> well, he's got a job. Okay. He's, he's got a job. Um, okay. One of the things I did want to go back to was the accident. We mentioned it. It is the thing that sets up the whole movie. And it's shot in a very weird way. And I don't know if it's shot. It's shot because they don't want you to know it what feels like happened. It's intentionally shot like in this fragmented way. 
it's very fragmented and I've seen old movies and they do show these sort of accidents in a fragmented way because you know you're only limited to what you can do and they didn't have the you know the yeah the, the stuff f- people weren't galore back then so it's like yeah and the photography and the you know the the shit that you can do today you couldn't do back then but one of the things that I thought was really interesting is they zoom in also it's like an old car I don't understand how it's driven like I know there's a clutch that she like presses presses down on but her like the the um the gear shift is like up it's a, up it's, by the wheel yeah. like a truck I was very weird I'd never seen a car like that um but they do zoom in on her foot and you know people who know me personally and you people who fetish. know I know people who know me personally know that I actually really don't like feet. I have grown to become more comfortable with them, but I they're not something I enjoy looking at. And okay. particularly the less like taken care of <laughs> they are, the harder it is for me to keep an eye on those puppies. So I did notice that whoever was driving this car <laughs> needed a fucking pedicure so badly. She's wearing open-toed sandals with, like, a scraggly-ass fucking long toenail. I was like, what is happening? It was, like, 1960, Jane. That's probably a PA who got forced <laughs> to do this shot. They weren't I'm thinking sorry, about foot we... care back then. You just put did some we... sort of salve or liniment on it and hope for the best. <laughs> My God. Do we not take care of our feet we in 1962? Go... No, we're not talking that self-care <laughs> nonsense back then. Everybody was just trying it's to stay alive. It's not self-care. It's just cutting your fucking donut. That may have been a toenail that they used for stuff, though. Oh, what do you use your toenail for? Don't, I don't even want to go in. I can't. We've gone too far. I shouldn't have brought it up. It, oh I, it only hurt. Bro. It only hurt me. It only hurt me. The other thing that, the thing that frustrated me this time watching the movie more than ever before was like, there's these moments, like these brief mm-hmm. moments where Blanche is home alone. And Blanche like is like at the top of the stairs, and I and I, I'm I know people are gonna be like, this is you don't know, and I get that. I mean, not the Joan, not the Joan Crawford knew either, but I, but she's at the top of the stairs, and she looks down at the bottom of this this staircase. It's a Spanish style mansion, lovely home, and she looks down at the bottom of this staircase, and she sees like a phone, and her phone's been removed from her room at this point because she wasn't because she's not as slick as she thinks she is, and she doesn't do a good job of covering her tracks. So she's she she's saying really too much. Does that. Hey, hey, oh, well, I just had a crazy thought. Um, you know how you've talked about one. Wanting to live in like other places before <laughs> other than the house. I've never said that word before. Never. Why are you talking about that, Blanche? Um, no, no, I didn't say anything about it. It's like, what? Like everything she says, she just backtracked and it's like, it's already been said and she's not a fool. So she heard you. <laughs> I'd love to sell this home. So there's a moment where she's at the top of the stairs in the, in the wheelchair and she has to sort of make this decision and they do their best to sort of give us an angle of the POV of like this being daunting. But like mm-hmm. one of the main problems that I found Mm. was that Blanche as a character was trying to like get down these stairs upright and that was the number one thing that was frustrating me 100% agree with you it was like she was trying to like hold on she's partially paralyzed so I obviously understand that like this is a situation where a person is not obviously Right, and we don't even know medically we how don't. paralyzed she we is. Don't. It appears that is the way it's been documented it, since then. It, 
appears that she's paralyzed from the waist down, but we don't have that information. We don't know that, and they didn't have that information. No. Um, <laughs> you know they didn't have that information. Not, not a single person asked that question when this, the playwright was probably drunk and ill-equipped to answer it. But she's trying to get down the stairs upright by holding onto the rail and like sort of slowly descending and I said I kept yelling because I was like Dave was like what do you want her to do and I said I want her to get out of that chair get on her butt and I want mm-hmm. her to to worm it down those stairs <laughs> but here's the thing if you don't have the ability to bend and lift your own legs then how do you worm it down? Well, she, okay, so she was able to get her legs out of the holder. She used her because arms to get her legs lift, out. Because she lifted them with her own arms. She would have how to. How do you worm it down the stairs if you don't have. All I need is for her butt to get on the landing at the top of the stairs and then her arms and then just shimmy down. That's what I need. Okay. Okay. I, I agree with that. And either that. that or upside down and just slide it all the way down. <laughs> Either way, either way, one of the two. But you got to get down there, and you got to do it now. Because if it was me, when she left the house to go put that ad in the newspaper for her accompanist to do the tinkling uh-huh. on the on the with her, baby, I would have been, I, I would have been okay. I'm sorry, Dave said this is a very ableist conversation. And that is why I'm laughing. Because I know this doesn't make us look good. But here's because the other we thing. have. No, no idea. we have no idea. But we're also talking about a fictional story from 1962 that was like high <gasps> drama. But we do understand, and I understand that like yes. it's easy for me from this vantage point. But it's yes. like I just wanted her. I wanted her to like either. I don't know. I, I just wanted her to get out of this situation. Either mm-hmm. take the comforter off the bed I'll tell and you, use I'll it tell or you something. What- piss me the fuck off as soon as there was a, a scene where Blanche or sorry baby Jane left to go do something I don't know pick up her fucking costume or whatever and Blanche fucking books it into baby Jane's bedroom and just starts eating chocolates I was like girl you need to be doing something else she besides so looking for those chocolates we didn't even I mention we didn't even oh mention my, there's so Okay, go, okay. go. So, towards the beginning of the movie, when Elvira's visiting, one of the only, like, actual scenes with Elvira and Blanche, they're in the room, yeah. they're having this sort of tender moment. Jane, of course, sort of, like, interrupts in order to sort of get an ear of what's going on. And there's uh, a... What are you saying? I thought you were talking about me. Baby Jane. Let's call her Baby Jane. I'm getting confused. <laughs> just don't get confused, because I'm just talking about a movie. <laughs> Yeah, but like, never. Okay. Because okay. sometimes, sometimes you'll. Sometimes you'll work me into a conversation okay, where you're true. making fun of Ugh. a character and you say, Jane would do this or whatever. And Jane so okay. I'm like, wait, are you talking about me? Are you talking? Just like okay. for half a second. So in the scene, so in like, there's, there's like a scene with Elvira and Blanche <laughs> where they're talking, and then Jane Hudson. Formerly known as Baby Jane Hudson, played by Academy Award winning actress Betty Davis. Okay! Comes into the room to, just to be nosy. And she's like, and I knew she was being nosy because she was trying someone doing something thoughtful. She's like, oh, I'm going to clean the bird cage. And so she takes the bird out and then she brings the cage back empty and she's like, the bird flew away. And then she's at the door and Elvira's like, that bird didn't fly away. You let it out. And then she just goes, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> she it's so funny because she's so unbothered. It's so funny. Oh, it's so funny. And she walks out of the room, and so the cage is empty. And then later on, she brings up Jane's meal. Which, by the way, the other thing in this movie that's really funny is like the buzzer, which is so obnoxious. Wait, I okay. I need to talk about this because I literally wrote a note. It's like I'm not on Baby Jane's yeah, side. I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> Blanche is coming a little hot Blanche, Blanche is pushing Blanche look look Blanche didn't deserve what happened but no Blanche, Blanche is, no we are not victim blaming no. but she was but, hot on that button am I gonna say she wasn't asking for it I can't comfortably say that she is pushing on this buzzer so much and so intensely and over and over again. And it's so funny because as a character, like Joan Crawford has crafted this like meek and like gentle and like very discerning woman. But like, it, and it's so funny because the energy of the buzzer does not match the energy. And to the, no! to the degree that it feels like these buzzer shots, it's like, I wish that Joan had been able to be a part of them, but I feel like it was all done like in either in post or like it was done when Joan wasn't on set because I feel like Joan Crawford as an actress would have been like, why y'all? No, there are buzzers like that. No, 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 no. Because they, she was a part of this. Because there are scenes where you can see her and it's her hand pushing the buzzer. Oh, over the, and over the buzzer, again. it's wild. She's like holding the buzzer down in this way mm-hmm. that I would be like, enough. I can hear it one time. <laughs> <laughs> one time and so she's doing that well, I'm not saying it's not her fault it's not her fault it's not her fault but the energy but the energy is is not <laughs> the energy is a little bit too high with that buzzer baby Jane and, is giving me fuck around and find out really she's like one more time one more time let also, me hear that fucking buzzer well and then at one point she's like hitting the buzzer repeatedly and then uh, you know baby Jane comes through the door and she's got the tray and and she's like, oh, I didn't mean to buzz you for breakfast. I was just trying to see blah, 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 something else. And it's like, you are pretending like you accidentally hit the buzzer and it went off. Just a one little cute little buzz. It was like you were sitting there literally like you were in traffic holding on to your horn for like it five was, She's minutes. just holding down. She's holding down for so long. And the buzzer is used to bring up the meals and then the meals are and the just meals to get start to, Jane's to attention. Get the food. And the meals are changing, baby. Like there is, there's, first of all, at one point she's brought up a meal and they all have the um, the cover on them. So you don't know what they are until you take the lid off. And she takes off the lid and it's a bird. It's the bird that escaped. It's her bird. It's dead. It's not just the bird. It is a bird on a pile of absolutely beautifully and meticulously sliced tomatoes. <laughs> Which I thought was the most amazing comedic element of that moment. Where it was like... Why spend time on slicing the tomatoes? The bit is the bird. (laughs) That's supposed to be the threatening, terrifying part. But we took the time, baby. She saw that iceberg. (laughs) She saw that romaine in the fridge and she was like, no, no, no. Not today. I got something for sissy. She gave her that. And then later on in the movie, she makes a comment about the rats. I want to talk about this. Okay. I want to talk about this because this is possibly my favorite part of the movie. And you didn't know anything about any of this. No, I had no idea. This was, this is all new to me. So a few meals later, by the way, just the timeline of this, it appears 
that Blanche is eating 12 meals a day. Because yeah, every, time, every time Betty comes up, it's with a tray of food. <laughs> is it breakfast? Is it lunch? Is it dinner? Is it 11sies? Like what? <laughs> Nobody knows what time it is or what meal we're eating. And you can't tell from the context of the food because it's always a dead animal. Which brings me to my next point where <laughs> Baby Jane is walking in with the silver tray. And she's like, we've got rats in the basement. Enjoy your meal. And <laughs> she puts it down in front of Blanche. Blanche trepidatiously lifts the silver lid of the, you know, gorgeous, um, what is it called? Like, like plate setting, like silver. Yeah. And of course we find a dead rat and she screams bloody murder. And then we cut to baby Jane leaning against the door, absolutely laughing her ass off. She, I was like, she fucking loves this rat bitch. She couldn't get enough of it. She was like, this is the best thing I've done in my career. Besides letter to daddy, this is number two. Like, having time for life. And then we cut to Sir Joan Crawford in her room and she is doing what can only be described as donuts. I think, I think what they were doing was trying to find a way to like show her panic, but I agree with you. It was like it was like a weird, weird, weird choice as an actor. She's literally doing donuts in the middle of the room, looking up at the ceiling and screaming. And I was just like It's too much. <laughs> First of all, I love a high camp factor, so of this course. was perfect, absolutely perfect for me as a viewer. But <laughs> it was a fucking weird choice as a director or as the actors. But I loved it. It was perfectly done. But and also, amazing. in thinking about this buzzer, the funniest part for me with the buzzer, because the whole point of the buzzer is like, you are too far away from me to like let you know what my need is. So I'm going to use this mm-hmm. buzzer. There's a mm-hmm. moment, it's a really dramatic scene in the movie where Betty Davis is fully gussied up in her, she's having, she's in the full fantasy of, of baby Jane. She's got her <laughs> little outfit on and she is downstairs. Her ringlets popping. Popping. She's downstairs. She's in this room. They give these women the most cruel lighting of all, which is basically <laughs> lighting, like front lighting and then lighting underneath. Cause they yeah, want to make sure that you so like, you see every, every crease. And she's downstairs singing Letter to Daddy. It's not hidden the way she wants it to hit. And she's also just in an emotional state. And she turns and she sees her reflection in the mirror. And she screams and cries because she has to deal with, like, who she, like, what she actually is versus what she wants to be. And the fact that she's aged. And she's crying and screaming. And then Blanche starts pressing on the buzzer. And she's buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. And she's in this state. And then she goes, what do you want? What do you want? And she's like, st- but but while she's screaming, what do you want? Blanche is still pressing on the buzzer. And then she's coming up the stairs and she's like, what do you want? What do you want? And you get the shot of Blanche in the room still pressing on the buzzer. It's like, you can hear her. Stop. You know she's you coming. You know she's, she's ascending <laughs> the stairs right now. Why are you still- and then she comes in the room and she's like, oh, uh, hey. It's like, girl, what? It's like, you didn't hear me? At a certain point, you knew. Because she heard her downstairs throw something and say, what do you want? And she kept pressing with this confused look on her face. Like, I'm going to keep pressing, though. I'm going to keep yeah, pressing. No. It's like, you didn't think she it's heard almost, you? 
it's almost like Blanche doesn't understand what the buzzer does. Either she doesn't understand <laughs> what the buzzer does, or she's like so like gaslighting Jane a little bit. Oh, we can't. Well, we're, I guess we're going to victim blaming. I guess, but <laughs> well, I think what we find out is that their relationship is so complicated. You think no so? one's no one's hands are entirely clean? Of course. I mean, although literally all we have is this buzzer. As far as like our like reasoning for like pulling for us pulling her into this, we're like nobody's completely <laughs> no, no, no. right, nobody's no, no. completely wrong. The buzzer. No, 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 no. No, no, no! I'm not. I, I'm Lady not James saying that. Committed a we whole haven't. Murder. We haven't talked about the twist at the end, which is what I'm referring to. Meaning, no one's hands are clean. We learn. So, the at the end, we already sort of talked about how Edwin runs um, away, and then Jane is like, "They're going to find out. They're going to find out. Yeah. He's going to tell people about what's going on here." And and so, um, <laughs> after beating Blanche up. By the way, oh my god, can we talk about which that? Which is, can we yeah, talk about that? yeah, let's talk about that scene. Okay, let's go, so, and then and then we'll talk about the beach, and so then we'll. Blanche yeah. does get down the stairs. Blanche, she she holds onto the rail, and somehow she like use. I I don't honestly don't know because also at this point she's basically being starved out by her sister. We mentioned the first two meals that involved animals, but then there's another meal which is psychological torture, which is when she brings up like it looks like a pork chop or some cut of like steak or something, and Blanche yeah. doesn't touch it because she's scared that she's going to get poisoned by her sister. Mm-hmm. So it just sits there all night. And then when when uh, Jane comes back up, she bites into it to prove her point. And then, you know, Blanche says, you're just you're trying to psychologically, like, torture me, which she is. And it's working. Um, yeah, she's torturing her in every possible yeah, way. But Blanche isn't eating, so she's also losing her strength as well because she hasn't eaten at this point. But she somehow gets herself down the stairs by holding onto the railing of this sort of curved staircase. She gets down to the bottom. At this point, Blanche has gone to run quick errands. I mean, Jane is going to run quick errands, so she's not home. She calls a doctor who couldn't be bothered, by the way. Dr. Sherry is like... He so does annoyed. not understand the urgency, which is care. reflected in Blanche's voice. He and care. he's like, he does not care. But she does convince him to come, and then... Betty Davis, baby Jane comes in and finds um, this is on the phone. This is like one of this is maybe the actual to me, like the most chilling scene in the movie. It's the shot because we have Blanche who's on the who's at she's made it to the stairs. She's made it to the phone. She's on the ground holding the phone. Her back is to the doorway from the kitchen. Jane somehow somehow comes into the house completely silently and she's mm-hmm. standing in the doorway observing Blanche on the phone. And it is a great shot. It is like it is classic, an incredible like, shot. It's terrifying. Movie. It's terrifying. And, and Jane is silently watching as Blanche is sort of talking to the doctor and she's just like, yeah, yeah, you just got to get here. You got to get she's here. She's like, my well. sister's unstable. She's you need to well. come. And then she hangs up sh- the phone. And Jane is in the background gaining information. Just sort and of listening, putting the pieces together. Well, and then at a certain point, She's hanging up the phone and she turns around and she sees Jane and it all goes to shit. And from it's there. like, oh hey, baby girl. Oh, you have a little chat. You you talk. 
you talking to somebody? No, 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 no. I was talking about how cool you are. Um, and then she just gives it to her. And so this is the like a big fight scene. Not even a fight scene. I mean, it's just her assaulting her sister who's helpless and like on the ground. Who's like at this point also so hungry. She's malnourished. She's, she's hungry. She's starved. And yeah. Jane just sort of takes it to her. And once again, I had the thought. Which I was like, I would have grabbed her by that foot. Me and her would have been tussling. We would have been old school tussling on that ground. Even me and her rolling around acting the fool. Because it would have been me and you. I would have grabbed her by those ringlets. I would have grabbed her by those ringlets and I would have molly whopped her. I would have been like, I got a letter for daddy right here in Issy's hands. Because fist one buck, and fist two. The buck stops here, sis. I've I've taped my coins on the letter to make sure they get, to get to delivered sure exactly <laughs> where they need to go. They get to where they need to go. You're about to get this work right now. Because it would have been the ass whooping of her life. But you know, that's not how this story unfolds, but unfortunately. It's, it's 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 not your story, it's Blanche's story. Un- not no. yet. Not until I not get the yet. rights. <laughs> We get you play every, part of the story. You just like Eddie Murphy and play every single part. So that was too much. I don't know why I kept going. Let's just move on. <laughs> Not even like I love that movie. I don't know why. Um, but thank you, our producer says that was really good, and I'll take my flowers it, where I can get them. It was good. It actually was really good. I was thank impressed you. with it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so Blanche, sorry, baby Jane beats up Blanche and then decides to take her to the beach so that nobody can, because Edwin found out what's well, a going lot on. happens between now and then? She gets her back upstairs. That's this is when she bounds her. Then Elvira dies. Then Edwin comes and discovers her. That this is when you know Jane decides we have to like we have to abscond because like they're going to come to the house now. Edwin has knowledge of the fact that you are here bound. He's going to tell people. And this is when Jane loads her up in the car and is like we're, which by the way Jane must be like strong because she She's, is well I think Jane lot. is very very strong but I also think probably she is you know not eating a lot malnourished maybe a little bit thinner than like you know a woman who uh, is being well taken yeah Blanche uh, Blanche is probably a little bit thinner and lighter than a woman who is being well taken care of the other <laughs> you know messy I mean? rumor that I heard about this movie and I do not I don't think it's ever been confirmed but one of the rumors Mm. was because these two had so much animosity between them that Joan Crawford attached weights to the bottom of her her outfits so that in those days that Betty had to like actually lug her that she had to like actually put in that work I don't know if that's true or not but that is one of those stories that I've always deep down inside I guess wanted to believe because it's good and juicy (laughs) So that's wonderful. And <laughs> so apparently it's we would have just been the messy bitches on set eating this whole thing up. Oh my and... god. With popcorn being like, what's next, girls? Oh my god. What you got? I heard she's got some shit planned. Absolutely. Actually, it would be really good if we could have like both befriended one of them and been the confidant yep. for the other one that we come together to information. Yeah, I just want to do that for the dark if, moments. Yeah, no, 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 no. But we'll just get the recap. Anyways, if we're ever in that situation, we know what we need to do. Absolutely. So so she takes Blanche to the beach, and (laughs) Blanche is like... 
sort of dying on yeah, the beach. It's like re- it's a horrible situation, and. Betty is, or sorry, Baby Jane is just like enjoying the ocean. Got, I, I, I know there's a song called Betty Davis Eyes, and I wonder if it's in reference to how fucking insane she looks by the end of this movie, because she's fucking lost it. But she is lucid enough to understand what Blanche is telling her, which is, P.S. Baby Girl, I know you think that you caused the accident that gave me my disability but (laughs) I'm going to hit you with a newsflash and the real information is you were too drunk to drive and so I drove and then I somehow tried I think she tried I'm trying to remember exactly what she said she tried to run into Betty or run in run baby Jane over with a car but ended up injuring herself is that correct I what yeah here we go I watched you I, I made you go op- go to open the gates I watched you get out of the car you'd been so cruel to me at the party imitating me making people laugh at me I watched you get out of the car and I wanted to run you down crush you you saw the car coming I hit the gates snapped my spine then you mean all this all this time we could have been friends you were frightened oh. and ran away I managed to crawl out of the car and up to the gates when they found me they assumed it was your fault so essentially, Blanche caused her caused. Also, her it's, own it's also like it's also interesting because it's like it's like you were all like even if she was making fun of you, like you were already like the bigger star. Like who cares? You know, right. I get it. It's it's sisters, and there's all the stuff attached to there's it. So um, much attached and to it. There's ways that you can cut as a sister that like nobody else can. So like. I'm- Absolutely. As a person who has has a sister, I get it. (laughs) And you two are strange, right? (laughs) No, we're like best friends, but there's no one who can be mean to me like my sister. And and that's not what your sister told me. She told me that she was just humoring you for this last like 20 years. But there is that you you were reading through her monologue a little bit. And there was that one point where Betty Davis turns to her and says, you mean we could have been friends all this time? And I just thought, girl, (laughs) regardless of the accident, there is a lot of shit going on between the two of you. I don't know if you could have been friends at this point because you already hated her up no, to this point. No, you would have just hated each other and lived in, <laughs> and lived in different mansions probably. Yeah, exactly. So, and but, and- yeah, so, but we get that like we get that twist and then also one of my other favorite moments in the movie is sort of like, at this point Jane is in this really like, she's deep in whatever the fantasy is that she's living in and she goes up to get um, ice cream from the from the ice cream which these cops who are literally they're on the beach just chilling on the beach like in plain view of everybody it is broad daylight people are out and about and th- and we've got baby jane in this in this rag doll like fantasy that she's living in and then we've got a fully like almost in a coma Blanche who was on the beach in these hot ass thick blankets just trying Cover to just, it, like, just trying to like, get through in all about, like, she's literally a woman dying on the beach and nobody and notices. Just hanging around, digits down the sh- beach. And there's a shot of fucking baby Jane literally 
building a fucking like sandcastle. Like, like she has a like she's Not filling a, a bucket with sand, like <laughs> building a sandcastle. Like she hasn't just ended a goddamn and, life and, and about no, to end another. And nobody's <laughs> like, what's going on with those two? And so all this is <laughs> happening. And then baby Jane decides to go get some ice cream. She gets ice cream for her and her sister. When she goes and gets the two strawberry ice cream cones, as she's walking away, the man says to her, <laughs> that'll be 40 cents. And she looks over her shoulder and she goes, thanks. <laughs> and then she keeps sauntering down the beach and oh, it God. had me dying <laughs> me I thought that too. shit was so funny and I've never caught that line before <laughs> but the energy of the thanks was just everything it was so good it was like it was like there is zero way you're getting that 40 cents thank you for the ice cream Move on I will see you at another time yeah. don't spend your time here trying to scrape that money for me let's consider that the good deed for the day and then just like working her way down to her sister and then the cops showing up and then she's got a crowd of people around her. <laughs> she does. The cops show up and she does one of her old school dance routines for him and the movie she's ends. She's the, cra- the crazy twirl while looking at she, everybody looking at her holding her ice cream cones. It's a great way to great, end the movie. It's a great scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Jane, I have a question yeah. for you. Mm. Is this a movie that you would watch again? This is 100% a movie I'd watch again, for sure. I loved it. It's a movie that keeps on giving. Yeah, I I would watch it again tonight. You know, that's how much I liked it. it. It's a really good one. And uh, I have a question for you. Um, I heard that you had a movie that you wanted to give to me. Um, I do. (laughs) And uh, I'm all ears. Okay. I am not sure if you've seen this movie, so this is a bit of a risk. Okay. I am going to have us watch 2002's The Sweetest Thing. No. Okay, perfect. I was pretty I sure it, you had seen, seen it. I've never seen it before. Okay, that'll be fun. But it's yeah. Got two actresses in it that I know I love. So mm-hmm. I'm excited. It's got Cameron Diaz in it, and it's got one of my all time favorite actresses who I always am just like. She doesn't get her flowers. More, and I more, love, more, love, love Christina Applegate. So mm-hmm. I am excited. I actually am. I don't yeah. know why I've never seen this movie, but I've never seen it. You know, I actually, well, we'll talk about it next week, okay. of course. But like, I always thought it was going to be bigger than I think it really was. But, oh, you know, okay. whatever. I, I just feel like it didn't do as well. But I don't know. I haven't done the research yet. So we'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, amazing well you guys thank you for listening to us um, chat about whatever happened baby Jane we hope you had a great time I know I did I know Brandon you know bought, brought his mediocre foot forward and we really powered Your through tuberculosis for denier you. coming from me <laughs> okay that's rich that's rich um, we love you and we hope that you guys will tune in next week if you want to keep up with the <laughs> move dashians you can follow us at movies we missed on facebook or instagram and you can find us at tw- on twitter at mwm chat and we shall see you next week for the sweetest thing love you If you said goodbye to me tonight (laughs) Classic
was macabre.